and welcome back to Paranormal Northwest, a podcast all about the history and the paranormal of the Pacific Northwest. Join me as I tell stories of this great region, the history, the people who live here, and those who may have never left. I want to take a moment to thank all of you that have been listening patiently, waiting for each episode. My goal with each episode is to give a clear, accurate picture of the places we are visiting, and I have realized that takes a bit of time, and as an elementary school teacher, time is not always something I have the luxury of having. However, as of now, I am planning on releasing at least one episode each month or um, one episode every three week schedule, so thank you again for your support and encouragement. Let's get into this episode. Today, we are traveling north, way north. Today, we are visiting the city of Skagway, Alaska. Some of you might be thinking, wait, Alaska isn't part of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it is. It borders the Pacific Ocean. It's to the north and the west of the rest of the country, most definitely part of the Pacific Northwest. And if you're from the Pacific Northwest, you probably knew that already. I had a sudden realization recently that I have been neglecting Alaska. So to Alaska, I apologize. But I have the perfect place for us to look at. We are not just going to visit a single building or site. No, we are going to look at the whole borough of Skagway, Alaska. So let's dive into the history of Skagway. The area that Skagway sits in is also known as the Klondike. This area sits on the once tenuous border between the United States and Canada. Since 1821, this area has been highly disputed and fought over by the Russians and the British. In 1867, when the United States purchased Alaska from Russia, they inherited this relationship with the British in what is now Canada. In 1867, the United States purchased Alaska from Russia. This was Russia's last stronghold in North America. Calling back to our Fort Vancouver episode, you may remember that Russia had been in the North American region since the early 1700s, along with the British and Spanish. Over the 18th century, they were pushed farther north and west, eventually only laying claim to Alaska. After the Crimean War, Russia geared up to sell Alaska for two main reasons. First of all, it would be difficult to defend in the inevitable event of a war with Great Britain. Second, Russia needed the money. The Crimean War had been very expensive. The most logical buyer was the United States, even though the U.S. had just ended their own civil war. On March 30th, 1867, the treaty to purchase the Alaskan Territory was ratified by Congress. The United States expanded by 586,412 square miles for a cost of $7.2 million. In today's money, that is approximately $133 million, totaling about 37 cents an acre. The Americans named the new territory Alaska after an Aleutian name. Even while it was held under Russian control, the Alaskan territory was sparsely populated. Native peoples were spread throughout the area, but the harsh weather, especially further inland, led to vast, uninhabited areas. Russian, British, American, and Canadian fur traders had been working and trading in the territory since the mid-1700s. Between 1867 and 1896, the territory remained sparsely inhabited. In the late 1800s, Canada wanted to conduct a boundary survey to officially confirm their borders. However, the United States deemed it would be too costly, considering the area was so remote and uninhabited. 
This issue actually dated back to the Russian and Great British conflict starting in 1821. In 1825, Russia and Great Britain met and drew lines to establish each of the territories, with Russia claiming land of the west along the sea and Great Britain claiming land coming from the west. This agreement was mainly enforced by the two major trading companies in the region, the Russian American Company and the Hudson's Bay Company. When the United States purchased the Alaskan Territory in 1867, the boundary of the territory was ambiguous, to say the least. This eventually led to the Canadian government requesting the official survey of the territory to establish the official boundary. The border issue was still disputed up until and even through the Klondike Gold Rush. The issue was not fully resolved until 1903 when the present-day borders were established. Now, let's move on to Skagway itself. Skagway, Alaska sits on the Alaskan Panhandle and has a population of approximately 1,240 people per the 2020 census. During the summer, more than 1 million tourists travel to the borough. Today, Skagway Bay is popular with cruise ships. Why is it a borough and not a city? Well, this is equivalent to a county like we have in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, but it's just a borough instead of a city or a county. Skagway is also known as the Gateway to the Klondike, which we will come back to. The name Skagway is an anglicized version of a Tlingit nickname for Conagoo. Legend has it that Conagoo was a mythical woman who transformed herself into stone at Skagway Bay, and now she causes the strong winds that blow towards Haines, Alaska. In 1887, a man named William Moore, an accomplished steamship captain, staked a claim in Skagway Bay. Moore established a homestead there and often traveled down south to Victoria, but while still maintaining his homestead in Skagway. Moore believed that gold would be found in the area, and soon. He had a great deal of experience with gold rushes and was bound and determined to get a piece of the one he felt was coming to the Klondike. Now, on to the Klondike gold rush. Moore's hunch was correct, and on August 16, 1896, gold was discovered in the Yukon. News took a year to reach the major West Coast ports of Seattle and San Francisco, but when they did, prospectors flooded to the Klondike. The gold rush brought an estimated 100,000 prospectors to the Klondike in only three years. Both Seattle and San Francisco experienced a major economic boom during this time. Fortunes were made by steamship captains who ferried prospectors back and forth. Others made their fortune selling supplies to the prospectors on their way north. Many more fortunes were made by those who did not travel to the Klondike than those who did. Both Seattle and San Francisco still bear remnants from that time. Skagway became a major port during this time. From Skagway, the prospectors would travel along the White Pass to the Yukon River, and from there, they would sail down the river to the Klondike. During the gold rush, the population of Skagway erupted to approximately 30,000 people. The majority of these people were American and were not necessarily prospectors. Many of them had traveled to the region in search of gold, but ended up setting, setting up in Skagway and selling goods to prospectors. Between the years 1896 and 1899, Skagway businesses catered to those traveling to and from the Klondike. In such a short amount of time, the small area experienced near uninhibited population growth and called back to the lawless ways of the Old West. One Skagway resident was a man named Jefferson Randolph Smith, a.k.a. Soapy Smith. 
Smith grew to hold increasingly more power in Skagway. The criminal activity ran rampant. Smith was essentially the equivalent of the Alaskan Al Capone. He ran numerous illegal operations and even controlled a private militia called the Skagway Military Company. He also had control over the Deputy U.S. Marshal's Office in Skagway. Smith was killed in the infamous shootout on Juneau Wharf on July 8, 1898. The shootout was the culmination of the citizens of Skagway's frustrations with Smith and his gang. Smith's head of operations was Jeff Smith's Parlor, a location that is still standing in Skagway today. Now, let's get on to some of these memorable locations in Skagway. As soon as I started researching Haunted Skagway, the Red Onion Saloon kept popping up. Aside from that catchy title, the thought of a haunted saloon set in the rough-and-tumble Klondike nearly mesmerized me. Established in 1898, Skagway's most exclusive bordello, which, if you didn't know, that's a fancy word for a brothel, the building was built with timber that had been cut by William Moore and consisted of two stories. The first floor was used as a saloon, while the second floor housed ten rooms used by the madams of the brothel. The Red Onion Saloon was known for the unique way that guests chose which lady to, um, visit? Each woman had a doll that represented her, sitting in a display behind bars. If the doll was laying down, that meant that lady was with another guest. However, if the doll was sat upright, she was available to a visitor. Like many brothels, the Red Onion Saloon had a high turnover rate on its ladies. It makes me wonder, though, if they reused the same dolls, or if each woman had a doll created for her. Since the end of the Klondike Gold Rush, the building has been used for many, for many different things, such as army barracks, a laundry, and even a television station, among other things. Today, the bottom floor is still used as a saloon with the staff dressed in period costumes from the 1890s. Stepping into the Red Onion Saloon today is like stepping back in time, but many visitors and staff have reported instances of the past creeping up on them. The most famous resident spirit at the Red Onion is that of Lydia. Lydia is said to be one of the ladies who used to work in the brothel. Lydia has been seen many times throughout the building, but mostly on the second floor, which housed the madam's rooms. Over the years, there have also been reports of footsteps coming from the second floor when no one has been up there. One time, police were called to respond to disturbance on the second floor. Upon approaching the stairs, the police officers witnessed a woman running down the hallway and into one of the rooms. When the officers entered the room, it was empty, but th- and there was no place the woman could have gone. Guests and staff have also reported perfume smells when there shouldn't have been any, and all of these instances have been attributed to Lydia. Which makes me wonder, if there's some other ladies floating around, this Lydia... She's getting all the credit. I'd be a little mad. Maybe I would throw some glasses or something. (laughs) Our next stop and our haunted Skagway tour is the Golden North Hotel. Built in 1898, the Golden North Hotel is considered to be one of the oldest hotels to operate in Alaska. The building originally housed the Klondike Trading Company, which had originally started in a tent. This business quickly thrived as miners were required to bring a year's supply of food into Canada along with their mining equipment. The business grew from that tent into the two-story building located on the corner of State and 3rd Street. 
1898, the Golden North Hotel opened nearby. The original hotel was in stark contrast to the current offering in the Klondike, which were often a rough saloon with a large room full of bunks three or four high. In contrast, the Golden North Hotel offered individual rooms and no bar. The hotel was proudly managed by Thomas Whitten from 1898 until his untimely death on January 11, 1900. During his short tenure there, Whitten became a Skagway staple, as well as surveyed and drew a map of Dye, Alaska. After Whitten's death, his young wife returned to California, and the hotel was managed by the former housekeeper, Mary Falk. The owner of the hotel, Ed Foreman, also returned to Skagway at that time. In 1904, the hotel was rented to the U.S. military. In 1908, Foreman, along with his business partner, George Deadman, bought the old Klondike Trading Company building. They then moved the hotel into that building, adding a third story as well as the now iconic Golden Dome. The business aimed to market to people who remained in town for longer periods of time, and not just overnight. At the turn of the 20th century, Skagway was being less transient. Tourism had quickly declined, and the White Pass and Yukon, Yukon Route Railroad began to employ many of the community members. Foreman and Deadman continued to operate the hotel as well as live there well into the 1930s. By 1930, Henry Deadman, the oldest of the Deadman's children, became the hotel manager. The Golden North Hotel continues to be run as a hotel today. If you visit, you might just see some guests who chose to stay indefinitely. The most famous story of the Golden North is that of a prospector and his fiancée, Mary. The prospector is often referred to as Klondike Ike, so we'll call him Ike. Ike left Mary lodging at the hotel while he traveled into the Klondike in his search for wealth. From there, the story has multiple turns. There are rumors that Ike was having an affair and Mary killed herself, or that he was faithful and she unfortunately died of pneumonia, or even that she had, she had heard he died and simply died of grief just days before he returned to her. Whatever the story, Mary did die before Ike returned. She was found in room 23, dead, wearing what would have been her wedding gown. Reports of a woman have been seen wandering the halls or watching out the windows. Some have even heard strange noises or felt blasts of cold air, which one source I found pointed out that it was Alaska and a blast of cold air could be completely normal, and I completely agree. I think if you have multiple paranormal things occurring, it might have been paranormal, but it is also important to figure out what could be alive or normal and causing it. Also, remember, Alaska's cold. However, there have been also reports of guests who slept in room 23, waking up feeling as though they were being choked, which doesn't seem very natural or normal to me, even in Alaska. And if you're from Alaska and that is a normal thing, we should talk. Another possibly paranormal occurrence in the Golden North Hotel is in room 14. There haven't been any specters seen or cold spots felt. No, in this room, both guests and staff alike have witnessed strange, sparkling lights within the room. The lights are most often seen just before dawn. So, when you book a stay at the Golden North Hotel, just remember, you may not be the only one in your room. So, that's a wrap on Skagway. Next time, we'll be traveling back to Oregon. Thank you so much for listening, and please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Para and W Pod. 
I share photos and fun facts about our locations. Also, check out our merchandise. Until next time, bye.